0: Hello, everyone. My next guest is Jason Tufexis. He has more than 20 years of experience in graphic design. He specializes in creating boxing posters. On top of that, he's a professional boxing commentator and the host of the Great Fight North podcast. Enjoy, everyone. Jason, hello. How's it going? Samir, I'm good, man. How are you doing? Thanks. This is our first uh, video chat podcast. I have never done this before, so it took us—it took me twenty-five minutes to figure this out. Even more on the background, but um, yeah, hopefully it's gonna work out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, it'll all be worth it. Trust me.
0: Okay, so as long as you're hear, hearing me well, I think yeah. we, we should be fine. Okay. Oh yeah, we're good. Okay, and I'm video recording this, and I'm you know hope I hope that it's not gonna lag too much, but we'll see.
1: Exactly. Let's try it out, man. Desperate times call for desperate measures, right?
0: Exactly. Nevertheless, I'm glad that uh, you're the first guest who are, you know, who are doing this with me because uh, I don't know, I don't, I wouldn't, I don't know how I would go through this with a stranger through all these yeah, technical difficulties. I totally
1: understand <laughs> that. I agree, man. Trust me. I've been there. I've been there. Um, when we had our, uh, one of our higher profile guests early on, which is Russ Amber on our podcast, great fight North with Ryan Scalia. We had uh Russ Amber on who's a legend in Canadian boxing. And this we were using an app and it kept cutting out it kept dropping and it was late at night and this guy's busy and he's waiting to call for his rival boxing company and I was so embarrassed man and then we ended up losing the entire half of the interview and I made Uh. him redo it again it was awful so I totally get it so I'm glad to be your your guinea pig for our virtual interview I'm very happy
0: thanks I appreciate it what do you think like Do people really do guests really get frustrated when this happens? Like if I would be invited to a podcast and then a fellow interviewer would be like having technical difficulties, I would be totally cool with it. I wouldn't be like, Oh, like look at him freaking amateur. How dare he! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I,
1: I think it depends on the guest and, and their overall yeah. kind of uh, mentality going into it. Yeah, but yeah. no, Russ. Russ was great, but he ribbed me about it a lot afterwards, saying like a phone, a, a regular phone works every time. You had to use the app. You had to try and do it. In the, you know, he's know. old school, right? So yeah,
0: yeah. But you know, as you said, desperate times. And uh, I'm not gonna like go into like this coronavirus too much because I don't want to date this podcast. I want people to listen to it 10 years later and not be thinking. Thinking like oh like stupid idiots they thought coronavirus was the thing like
1: it, it, it might be an interesting they, time they have, capsule like
0: right. they have no idea what's coming for them yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> true true
1: we may very well be in
0: that situation exactly so but in any case you know we are we have to like spend some time home and uh, usually I do face-to-face and then that was kind of like my internal rule of my podcast like I will mm-hmm. never do these kind of things because exactly for these reasons and and just you don't really feel your guest as much but yeah. desperate yeah. time so we're gonna do this and it actually gives me a perfect excuse to um to basically record it this way in, in this medium. So I Absolutely. really appreciate that oh, you're my, my, pleasure. my yes, pleasure number Thanks, one man. on this one. Thank you. So we'll see if it's going to work out well, and then uh, uh, I'll probably going to do more. Um, we may have no
1: choice. I know you don't want to talk about that, but I mean, the reality <laughs> no, is of course, we're, yeah. we're in lockdown mode, you know, and uh, we may not have a choice, but to do it this way for a little while, everybody's got to start thinking of some fresh ideas here
0: really and, and really like I wanted to make this pro, uh, podcast as a profile on you personally I want to cool. sort of use it as a product uh, especially describing you yourself as like as your, uh, as your portfolio and, and I'm doing this for all of my other guests I want them to discuss you know their career past their life and then we can go into you know some current events as well sure sure man and absolutely I'm know ready what? for anything of course, and and, and you you are uh, you know becoming higher and higher in terms of profile uh, in Canada and, and the world of boxing and, and the world of boxing and a lot of people know you around here and I feel like um, people deserve to know more about Jason Defexis. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. I don't know if they'll be excited about it, but hey,
1: who knows? Let's go for it.
0: I always think they will be excited about it, and uh, I'm I'm confident in that. So I just wanted to sort of. Um, you know, talk about your career path starting from scratch. You know, I tried to do some research on you, and uh, to my pleasant, it it pleases me that there's not there's no there's not much information on you. That means I can be the first one who actually like discover your profile, sort of like get yeah. get there into the deep. You yeah. know, I, I I saw your LinkedIn profile, I saw your uh, you know Twitter, of course, and uh, I'm listening to your podcast. I I just listened to your latest podcast with Ryan Scalia. Uh You guys invited the guy um, JC, I think that's that's his. Uh,
1: yeah uh this last one that we just had you know it's funny my mind completely went blank um this last week let's see we first had Camille after the coronavirus came out and
0: uh you mean Camille Estefan the promoter from Unreal okay that's
1: right yeah Camille Estefan of Eye of the Tiger he came to talk about um you know he he had his two shows canceled uh the day before they went off. So that was, that was definitely an inter- interesting topic. And yes, this past week we had Jay Chaudhry, Exactly. Producer Jay Chaudry, Uh He's a really interesting guy. He lives in Toronto uh, where you are now.
0: Yeah. Uh, you you texted me about him and yes, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm excited. I, I just listened to it and I was like, wow, like he's actually preaching a lot of things that I'm preaching, which yes. I'm learning from other guys who are preaching this. And I feel like we're, we're sort of taking lead from the same people. So that's, uh, that's pretty cool. But anyway, so, uh, great job on that. And, and, you know, because of your podcast, I'm, I'm even more excited to sort of get in touch with, with, uh, with, with Jay and uh, maybe talk to him as well. Excellent. But any case, let's, uh, let's talk about you, man. Sure. You know, the, you know, the first thing I really well, we we've met relatively recently, right? Like a couple yeah. months ago. And, uh, first met you here in, uh, Brampton for Tyler Buxton's, uh, uh, show, uh, boxing show and uh yeah you were just super friendly to me and uh we we sort of reached out to each other from on twitter and uh i really appreciated your your friendship you know like right away you're you're just such a nice guy and i you know oh
1: man it goes both ways listen uh i'm i'm always eager to meet people and um the the taking it beyond that to a friendship and and wanting to go hang out and go to fights in montreal that's on you at that point that like that I decided to do that. It's not everybody off of Twitter that I'm going to be hanging out with. So it's not just that I'm a nice guy. You're a great guy, man. We had a good connection. You had a lot of Absolutely. fun. Absolutely. Um, and I always found it interesting that, you know, two people from the other complete other side of the world almost uh, have this, this in common. And then you learn more and more about each other. It's fun, man. So uh, it's, it's been my pleasure to, to know you so far.
0: I completely agree. And yes, exactly. My trip to Montreal was amazing. And uh, we've met there as well. And saw the fights and hung out afterwards and beforehand as well. I I think we watched the second Joshua Ruiz fight. Yes, that's right. And that was pretty cool at the bar. And uh, the place was amazing. What was the place again? Let's give Uh, them some promotion.
1: Yeah, for sure. That's called Coin de Metro. So uh, corner of the Metro, because it's right near the Metro station. Uh, I can't remember exactly what part of town it's in. That's my hometown is Montreal, but Mm -hmm. uh, kind of on the East end. And they show every fight. Like it's one of the only bars in Montreal or really anywhere that shows every single fight. So if you are in Montreal, go check out Coin de Metro. A lot of uh, former fighters and current fighters go and watch. So um, you'll find kindred spirits there for sure.
0: And, And I think a little later, I asked our common friend, Ryan, um, how old are you? And he says, He's uh, he's 39, and I my jaw dropped because I thought, <laughs> I, I thought you're like maybe in your late 20s or you're like early wow, 30s or man. something. <laughs>
1: This was so worth it to come on this podcast just for a little (laughs) pick me up. I needed that today. Yeah, man, I'm about to turn 40 in weeks. May not. That's
0: crazy. Yeah, yeah, I was supposed to be
1: calling calling the next fights in Brampton uh, for my birthday, which I was excited about. Of course, those are canceled right now. But uh, yeah, so 40 coming up, man.
0: Wow, I, I I aspire to be I aspire to look as well as you are right now. And how old are you?
1: I'm 28 okay so you got a ways to go man all right well thank you i really appreciate that
0: i got a ways to go but we're sort of looking the same age that's why (laughs) that's why you know i'm I'm not really excited about it (laughs) i have high hopes for you my friend all right thanks i i hope so yeah um but tell us tell us a little bit about yourself how did you start um your your path is I know that you're involved in boxing but you're also yeah. involved in 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 design as well and yes. I wanted to and I went through your LinkedIn and I saw some interesting things about it that i sort of I don't want to like go through your resume or whatever no, but no, i don't no, know for sure if, if there's something that you'd like to talk about in particular yeah. that really kind of pivoted your way towards your yep. interesting career so go ahead please do that.
1: yeah no no definitely so I mean first and foremost I'm a an artist a designer um the boxing part is the direction and the like that I strategically have put myself into over the last 10 years or so, Uh, kind of matching a passion with your skill and making it work. But uh, I grew up in an artistic family. Uh, My dad is a fantastic illustrator. Uh, he illustrates books and uh, coloring books and kids stuff. So I, my uncle is an illustrator. My brother is a graphic designer. uh, My grandfather used to do um, metal working for, uh, for icons in the Greek Orthodox church long, long ago. So it's kind of a a family thing. They had a jewelry business. They used to make custom jewelry. So that's just how I grew up. It was always around me. So originally I, you know, thought about following science and going into med school. I don't think I, that would have worked out too well, to be honest, but it worked out much better that I decided to follow my uh, skills, went to a technical school uh, in Montreal called Dawson, great program called Illustration and Design. Um, that was kind of really a, a pivot point for me. After my first year in Illustration Design, the dean of the program called me into her office and said, listen, you're average, like you have now a decision to make where you either concentrate and focus to be the best or just quit. And I was in shock and uh, it it really turned things around for me. I I took a year off. I went back in and I was so focused on just being the best artist and designer that I could be um, that by the end of the program, it's a three-year program. We had a, uh, there's always a vernissage, like a show of all your projects uh, for the public and the poster for that was one of the final projects so everybody has to design a poster and then they bring in some professional uh, graphic designers and illustrators from the workplace uh, outside to judge them and my poster got selected as the final poster for the 3rd year of RIS this nice. was a great honor yeah and that really set me on my path to where i am now it was a very windy path but mm-hmm. once i realized the power of poster design and the power of being able to tell a story in one image that you only look at for a split second Mm -hmm. I was hooked I was absolutely hooked now finding work in poster design was another story so anyways from the time that I graduated I ended up working in uh, children's publishing uh, primarily I ended up um, uh, being an art director for uh, a great publishing company for kids books called Fidel and uh, they're located in Montreal Um, great books if you got young toddlers and younger and in that time is when I really started to get into boxing Mm -hmm. and at that point is when, you know, I kind of, you
0: mentioned there was a strategic move to design posters. Like, can you talk to me more about like, what exactly, like where was the strategy there? Like, you're going to talk about boxing right now. So exactly. I I want to know about your thought process. Like, okay, how can I like strategically get into that industry?
1: So this is where it kind of leads to it. So I had uh, a great time. I was there for seven years, seven and a half years um, at that publishing company, working primarily and only, I should say, in little kids stuff. So teddy bears and bright colors and snails and, you know, whatever else, right? Um, But in my free time, I was watching boxing all the time. I really got into it. I was starting to go to fights. And I noticed um, a a hole in the marketplace, which was apparel being sold at the fights was always just the ugly fight poster on a rectangle on the shirt I wanted to support a fighter and there was nothing at the time there was nothing out there this was pre-affliction and all that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. um so anyways I started a company with my friend Alex called Red Corner Apparel doing t-shirts and uh we approached a bunch of boxers we you know sent emails to like uh Kessler and Carl Froch and all these kinds of guys
0: and uh Nothing so tell really me what. Was, what yeah. So what did the email say? Once you you know decided to do that and email everyone. I, I would, first of yeah. all, how did you find their emails, and then yeah. what exactly was the email content?
1: Sure. So uh, the way it always starts for me is on the design side. I feel like there's no point of approaching somebody if you can't show them a polished product that catches them, and they have no choice but to say yes. So I designed shirts, you know, just. Uh, out of nowhere. It was my first time trying to do that. Designed shirts, made a mock-up where, you know, like a model's wearing a shirt of, of uh, you know, the, the design. And uh, my friend Alex really literally just tried emails. Like he did carlfroch at hotmail.com. <laughs> like, it was just, like we just would try. We had no idea. I had zero, uh, zero connections. I'm so glad I asked that
0: question. Though. Oh yeah. We
1: really have zero connections in the boxing industry. So then at the time, this was back in 2007 when we first started the idea, 2008. Uh, we would go onto the websites of different promoters. We contacted main events. We wanted to do a Kermit Cintron shirt. So they wrote back, you know, and we started a little kind of back and forth. So that's how the initial content started Was was really just like, hey, um, you know, we, we're an apparel company located in Montreal that focuses only on boxing. Meanwhile, there was no company. There was no shirts. There was no printer. Like, it was just like, let's see if we can do this and figure yeah. it out. And uh, yeah, so that's how that part started. So awesome. that, that was the content of the emails. Yeah, and
0: who, was, who was your first uh, client?
1: So the first one that we ever ended up getting, we had printed up a bunch of sample shirts. Mm-hmm. Uh, we sent them to main events to try and get Kermit Cintron, um, who was a, a, an up-and-coming fighter at the time. And I would—I went to go watch uh, Miguel Cotto fight in uh, in New York at Madison Square Garden. And I knew that our mutual friends, uh, Doug Fisher and Steve Kim, were going to be there. They're, they're fantastic. Yeah, exactly. From Max Boxing at the time. And I was obsessed with, Mac, with Max Boxing. I watched it every single day while I was supposed to be working at work. Uh, sorry, my former bosses, if you're watching or hearing this. But uh, so I, I wanted to go down after the fight to meet these guys because I loved, you know, their content. And just like us with podcasting, and we've talked about this before, you get this feeling of kind of knowing somebody. uh, I went down to the, to the uh, gate um, and yelled out to to Steve and Doug and they came over and I introduced myself and I had my Kermit Cintron shirt on. So Steve asked me about it. I had, I had sent him an email in the past about it and he said, Oh, you're the guy with the t-shirts. Okay. Hey, we're going to go out after with, team margarito to uh this diner um nice. do you want to i think it's tiktok diner in new york do you want to come with us yeah oh, of course that smelled
0: good huh oh <laughs> yeah really cool that so,
1: so all of a sudden a guy who's never even met a fighter w- even a local montreal fighter ends up you know waiting in the hotel lobby and margarito comes in with his belt it was like a regional belt at the time and um anyways we go to this diner and uh, I'm sitting with my friends. I didn't want to bother Steve and, and uh, Doug and all those guys. And they call me over and say, hey, come sit with us. And Antonio Margarito is walking in. And his manager, who I had just met before, says, hey, come check out his shirt. Now, a little bit of background. Margarito had smashed Kermit Cintron in his prior fight. And Kermit Cintron cried in the ring afterwards. And he took a lot of heat for it. I, I get it, man. I'd be crying too. So Margarito comes up to me, doesn't speak English. He looks at my shirt and he goes, (laughs) and he starts doing like this. It was like a surreal thing. So anyways, long story short, I end up going and sitting with Steve and uh, Sergio, um, Mm -hmm. Margarito's manager. Mm -hmm. And Steve just throws a softball to me. He says, Jason, tell Sergio about this t-shirt company that you have because I it's think funny, when perfect.
0: you say that I, I can hear Steve's voice in my exactly. head. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah Totally. So t- tell him about that, that t-shirt company, because I think this is a perfect for a guy like, like uh, Margarito. And then I pitched it and Sergio said, yes, just like that. I literally had nothing, uh, in terms of uh, business plan and ter- you know, like we, we had to get everything going. Uh-huh. So yeah. So it, it, it was from there. That was it. Our first guy was on 200 Margarito, who was a, uh, went on to become
0: a very very popular fighter uh, so how did this deal happen was it like a handshake kind of based and it like was a handshake
1: just- at first and then f- uh, follow like follow up by email send a proposal you know so i Got put it. together a proposal with lines. yeah exactly and from there we we worked out a deal that was uh very bad for me <laughs> oh, so <laughs> not, not on not on on their part and this so that's completely- interesting well
0: let's let's talk about it yeah, why sure, was it a of job sure. for you
1: Because I know nothing about accounting or business, at least at that Mm -hmm. time, Mm -hmm. uh, I offered because now we don't have the company anymore, so we might as well just talk about it. I offered 30% of net sales, not of profit. and my cost was insanely high because i was mm-hmm. doing low quantities of shirts and i was trying to find printers
0: to do them so well, hold on when you said you offered 30 percent, what does that mean so like
1: every sale i got let's say we we sold the shirts for 30 dollars or 25 dollars us let's say 30 to make it easy uh they got ten dollars off the top um, got it no matter got what it. okay so but my cost you offered yeah. them
0: to, okay
1: But my costs were probably like 15, like something crazy, you know? So by the time that you work in everything else, I think we were probably getting $4 or something. Okay. You know, it, 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 the, the proper way to do it, I would assume at this point would have been to figure out something off of when you take off the cost and then give a percentage. So, um, it may have even been higher. It may have been 50% actually for Margarito and then slowly Mm -hmm. went to 30. Yeah, that's what it was. Mm -hmm. So, um, at any rate, we great
0: experience though. Oh, totally. Now, you know.
1: Totally. So, you know, over the years we had Carl Froch, uh, we had Israel Vasquez. We had a number of really, uh, the perfect kind of like hardcore fan, um, fighters and we sold them online. Uh, it was hard for us located in Canada. We offered free shipping cause the shipping was so expensive to the States. Uh, mm-hmm. it ended up being almost 10 bucks, which ate out of you know, yeah, the rest of, yeah. of my money. Did it
0: get easier? Like with the, with the, like with other clients, as since you got the Margarita one, then
1: yeah, uh, for sure. As it soon was as like you a portfolio
0: get, that was working on exactly.
1: Right? As soon as you get a name like that, people uh, will say yes much quicker at that mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it once Margarito got caught for cheating, which which he did. He had you know, uh, he says he he didn't know about it, but he had mm-hmm. plaster in his hand wraps. Uh, he was still our our biggest seller, and at that point, it just uh, crushed. <laughs> like it went right. from you know selling shirts to to nothing, mm-hmm. and I had just resigned from my full time job the week oh. before he got caught. Yeah,
0: because because of that, you wanted to do this full time. Okay,
1: yeah. So I decided uh, at a certain point I was you know it was getting difficult. Ballsy move. Te- Ballsy yeah, move. I I had I I told myself I had to. I got to give a ton of credit to my wife Elena also who we've both at different times in our relationship together. Um, mm-hmm. offered to to cover all costs so that the other person could follow some kind of
0: so were you were you married at that point already uh 2009 um
1: yeah i had just no i was about to get married we were just okay. about to get married nice and and, and, and
0: so your fiance basically yeah. was was helping you out and and, and yeah. you were helping her out so there was like this this mutual partnership where you guys supported exactly. each other
1: Exactly, and that made all the difference. So basically, I, I told myself, "Look, if uh, if you don't try this and give it a full try, you'll always regret. Who knows what it could have led to?" You know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I handed in my resignation to the publishing company after seven and a half years. I left, had all my stuff, and uh, it's not. This it sounds like it's fake, but literally, the day after my last day was Friday. I think it was January twenty fourth, January twenty fifth. Margarito mm-hmm. gets caught cheating. Mm-hmm. And, uh, our sales went to basically nothing. So, you know, I, I stayed resigned and told myself, look, do, do, do what I can. Um, mm-hmm. I had kind of a limit of how much money I could lose, mm-hmm. uh, and go into debt before it gets crazy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so I kept at it and it led into my boxing career. So all in all, um, it was so worth it, even though I lost, you know, $30,000 or who knows what $30,000 I didn't have, um, at the time. In debt, trying to make this company work. But uh, what would
0: you do differently right now? Let's conclude this story about the sure, T-shirt design. Sure. What's- well, I
1: mean, th- you know, we talked before, um, Samir, about technology and and how that changes things uh, before we were recording. And um, really, right now, I feel like with what I've learned in so that 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 was two thousand nine, two thousand. 10 when everything ended. So now it's been 10 years that I've been focused now in the world of design, marketing, Mm -hmm. and boxing. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Not only have I gained so much, so many skills and and so much knowledge in terms of the marketing angle, but e-com has caught up to a point where at 2008, people were still nervous about dropping credit cards online, Um, much more so. We had just started to integrate PayPal into it. Uh, so that's one thing. And social media as a free marketing tool would have been massive. I was spending money. I had ads, physical printed ads in the ring magazine, which cost a lot, um, ads on max boxing, uh, mm-hmm. which we were trying to do, but you're unable at that time to target the way that you can now. So I think now if I were to do it again, which I am not planning on it, uh, <laughs> I've already been there, you know, uh, but if I were to do it again, I would be able to take advantage of how far technology has come and how far our understanding of targeting specific demographics has come. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that I think it would it would definitely have played out better now if I would have tried it.
0: That's great. All right then so you said then you transitioned from that and how how that how did, did yeah. how did that transition happen?
1: So I when we approached Carl Froch uh, and Alex found the Carl Frotch at hotmail.com and, and He his, did find I, him. Yeah. yeah, He found him. He li- like, we literally spoke directly to Carl Froch and his, uh, at the time, his girlfriend, f- former girlfriend. And, uh, she wrote back, she was like his manager at the time and said, Hey, Carl's interested in this. Uh, let's talk about it. So anyways, we did shirts. Um, and we went to the UK and, uh, tried to sell shirts there. It was a disaster. Uh, we didn't understand the market in the UK. People want to spend money on beer at events, not on T-shirts. So anyways.
0: So it's simply the demand in the UK is not as high for for Yeah, for it merch. was it
1: was completely different than what uh, North American fans wanted. They thought it was, uh, I would have to figure out a politically correct word, but they they thought it was unmanly to wear a shirt with another guy on
0: mm-hmm. it. With, mm-hmm. a
1: gu- with a with a with f- a man's face or that that's the feedback that we kept getting which was very strange at the time do you uh, think
0: so- you know i'm thinking like would it, would it make more sense to um, Apply it to football kind of uniform, soccer, right? Just yeah, To put totally. frotch, frotch on the back. Hundred percent. Yeah, and man. a big
1: and a big uh, UK flag or or yeah, shield yeah. or something or yeah, totally. But again, that's just learning, you know. And, exactly. and I didn't, I at that time I didn't have the business experience to think about doing market research. I didn't, I didn't even know what market research. Yeah, I mean was.
0: that's, that's comp- like that's a great insight actually into UK yeah. market. Do you think it's the same thing right now? Like people um, are still pro-
1: probably not uh, because the personalized fighter shirts have come a long way since but yeah. if you look at what affliction did which came out right as we were starting mm-hmm. um and actually stole margarito away because what could we offer this little they weren't putting guys on it they were putting the names and skulls and fire and and it took off so who I, knows actually i actually Maybe now, i don't know uh, if i'm ashamed
0: to say or not but i'm I, I own two affliction shirts, buddy. I knew it just
1: from meeting you that you own affliction shirts. <laughs> Don't worry, I can
0: tell. I, can. I, I bought, I bought, and before that, I, 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 owned another one. It's just like I never knew, but I actually was not aware about what the fuck affliction is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I just saw the design. I was like, wow, this is this looks pretty cool. The yeah, for sure. And, and,
1: hey. I thought it was cool at the time too, and then me. I
0: realized that it's douchey. But I'm still yeah, yeah, hey, right? yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I still
1: I still like it. I don't know. <laughs> hey, the designs weren't douchey. The fans yeah. of the designs were. That's the thing, right? So oh, you I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's different. The designs were cool at the time for sure. Yeah. So yeah. So um, to 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 bring it all the way back to how I got the the boxing job, anyways. So I had done this deal. We did we did this deal directly with Carl Froch. And uh, after I got back from the UK, we, we, le- we uh, officially sold the shirts with Hennessy Sports, who was Carl Frotch's um, promoter at the time.
0: What does and, that mean? Uh, so sold the shirt was Hennessy Sports.
1: Yeah, so I approached or we did. I, I keep saying I Alex and I approached Hennessy Sports and asked them if we could rent a booth at the venue. For the Sports,
0: is, is this like a promotion company?
1: Yeah, Hennessy Sports is the, are, is the company that found and started Tyson Fury all the way through to his Klitschko fight. So, oh, wow. Hennessy Sports was the promoter of Tyson Fury when he became world champion by okay. beating Vitali Klitschko, or Vladimir Klitschko. Mm-hmm. So, um, we, uh, we, we approached them. We said, hey, we're doing Carl Frotch shirts. Can we rent a booth from you at the venue in Nottingham for uh, the big fight against Jean Pascal? Which was really kind of a, uh, an introduction for both Jean Pascal and uh, Carl Frotch to the world at that point. So we paid a nice amount for, uh, in British pounds for a, a booth. We decorated it and got it all ready. And we sold, I don't even want to say 10, 12 shirts. We flew all the way there. We had 500 shirts printed. It was a disaster. So at, at any rate, when we came back, um, I was contacted by somebody who was representing Hennessy sports in Canada. And mm-hmm. he said, Hey, listen, you, you guys went directly to Carl. You never even talked to us. We could sue you for this kind of thing. And I was like, Whoa, I don't want to get into trouble with this. You know, mm-hmm. I said, tell you what, Design a shirt for us for Tyson Fury, uh, who was literally one and zero at the time. He had he had just turned pro. Nice. Design a Tyson Fury shirt for us, and we'll call it even. And then let's work together after that for the rest of our fighters. I thought this is perfect. Let's do it. So I did that. And uh, little by little, this uh, th- this guy would uh, would contact me and ask me if I wanted to kind of, you know, hey, you want to come to the fights in Montreal? Um, he was working a lot with Yvonne Michel. Do you want to come and do this? And slowly I started to help out with other things, aside from designing shirts for them. I started doing stuff like picking up fighters at the airport, bringing them to medicals. Um, nice, I've done that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally, <laughs> totally. So, you know, the, the kind of stuff that any... F- fan of boxing would be very happy to be a part of and then I got to go to the fights I got to be with the team of these young fighters guys like oh. Sam Vargas and and Logan McGuinness, uh, who's not fighting anymore but Samuel Vargas was just supposed to fight Virgil Ortiz uh, today yesterday today so yeah. you know um, it was fun it was it was amazing and uh, from there uh, I started working with Hennessy sports much more often that's how I got into working as a promoter in the, or with promoters anyways, on the boxing, I guess, operation side. So Mm -hmm. that was uh, 2010 when I started that. It's
0: funny because, I mean, you're in Canada, but you're working with UK fighters, right? Yeah. Yeah. Is that did, so? Were you in the UK all this time? Like uh,
1: no. You- so what we would do is uh, we had uh, we ran a, a, a kind of a subdivision called Hennessy Sports Canada. So we had our Canadian fighters, and uh, because there weren't there wasn't a lot of boxing action going on, we had started working with Tyler Buxton back then. That's when mm-hmm. I first met Tyler to put some of our fighters on their shows in in uh, Mississauga at the time, mm-hmm. and then we would bring our fighters and fight in Montreal most frequently on Yvonne Michel's shows. Uh, And then I would fly over to the UK for, for the big fights. And help out on the ground there um, with anything, with uh, marketing. I did some video interviews. I did whatever, whatever it was, and it was a great time. That was my first time going over there. Was uh, the first um, fight for Tyson Fury against Derek Chisora, which yes, was, I'm, I'm
0: smiling because it, it's it's yeah. so funny. Like I, I'm, I had like very similar experiences with like flying into the fights and all of that. It's just yeah. I know no, how for it feels sure, and it, and it feels amazing to be a part of the whole project and to be a part of, uh, of the team unbelievable, especially,
1: absolutely. It's such a cool thing. And it's, it's one of the best experiences that I've had. You know, it was, it was amazing. So, um, that's, that's how I started doing it. Uh, I, and then I ended up designing posters for them. I'll tell you one last funny story about how I got into that aspect of it at the time that I did my t-shirt company. And when Hennessy sports approached me to Mm -hmm. do other t-shirts for Tyson Fury and stuff, I was pretending to be a big shot. And I said, sure, sure, sure. I'll ask my designer to do it. You know, I'll talk to my design team all you know, so I was pretending to be like the director of
0: this company. I support it.
1: Okay. So anyways, then they said, Hey, do you think you could ask your designer to design (laughs) a poster for our friends in Ireland called Brian Peter promotions, which had guys like Andy Lee and Katie Taylor. Um, So anyways, at that point I'm like, my dream is to design boxing posters. My dream since I started liking boxing was Uh to design boxing posters and I couldn't all of a sudden say it was someone else doing it so I came clean as a listen I've been doing all the designs for the shirts reality my friend Shankar did a few of them too shout out to Shankar one of the best t-shirt designers out there a good old friend from Montreal but uh, I, I had to tell them like look it, it was me all along I've been kind of you know and so yes I will design a boxing poster so the first boxing poster I ever did was for a world title fight uh, Bernard Dunn in Ireland Mm-hmm. And uh, that was it, I was hooked. And from there, that's how this took off. That was 2009.
0: And let me tell you, your posters are amazing. You know, I Thanks, looked through man. all of them. I, I started actually like paying attention to the posters locally here uh, for the Brandon Cook fight and you know Sudik Chapria that you did also as well. And then I, I looked more and more into your work and, and then I went to Montreal and I saw your posters there for Arslan Beck and uh, uh, Lemieux. And so it's just, uh, they're just so organic. You know, And what I like about them, they, they're really, they're, like, they're sort of like they're like movie posters rather than boxing yeah. posters you know and that's yeah. what i like about because usually when you see boxing posters and you see that there's not a lot of effort put in there you can you yeah. can sort of see how like one thing is cropped on another thing yeah and and you, you see that there's no like kind of this dynamics of shading and and, yeah. and, and color it's just a formula
1: the, the fastest formula to yeah. get it out you know and it's unfortunate
0: so- so, so giving that, can you talk to me about your process of creating a, a poster? Where, where do you start from? Where, where do you draw your inspiration for a particular fighter or a fight or in general, like how do you start the process? Yeah.
1: So, um, for me, uh, and I, we kind of touched on it earlier, the art of a good poster is comes down to the art of storytelling. And, uh, the first thing I like to think about when it comes to the overall theme and, uh, feel or vibe of the poster is what is the story about this one? Is it about the main event fighter? Is it about uh, the, the the opponent has nothing to do with it? Is it about where he's from? Is he coming back from a a tough fight? Is he on his ascent to the top? What's his personality like stuff like that? So um, that's, that's the first thing in kind of the storytelling process. The, Most integral part, and this will be kind of good advice for any promoters out there hoping to have good posters, whether it's done by me or anybody else, is having the right photography. Without the right photography, there's only so much a poster designer can do. That's true. Yeah. So having proper photos taken as opposed to sending me tiny uh, Facebook profile pictures of guys, you know, that their girlfriend shot while they were out at a bar. It doesn't work. If you want to mm-hmm. tell a proper story, you've got to have the right photography too. So that's the key part. So um, once I have a kind of overall idea of how I want the poster to go, this is all in my head at this point still. I look at the photos, what's available to me, and then I can start visualizing how I how I see it coming together. And you know, in art school, we're taught to do all of your visualization on paper and sketch and sketch and sketch but for whatever reason at least when it comes to I do that for certain projects do that for branding for stuff like that but when it comes to boxing posters I like to design it in my head before I even touch the computer at least if I have the luxury of time on my side so mm-hmm. you know if I if I'm able to have a night before I have to start and the promoter is not in a huge rush mm-hmm. I start to visualize while I'm doing other stuff while I'm driving while I'm playing with my daughter while I'm cooking, whatever. And the poster starts to come together in my head, picturing how the photos were, how they can fit together, how the colors might work and where the text might go. um, What might be that thing that puts it on on the next level and away from that formula that you were just talking about. So for me, a lot of that process, every good poster that I have, which I like to think is almost all of them at this point now, later in my executed off of visions already in my head before I start on the computer. Mm -hmm. Uh, obviously parts of it change because as you get in, you know, certain things don't fit the way that you thought they might, uh, pieces and colors don't work the way that you had thought they might in your head. But Mm -hmm. more often than not, if I walk away from what I'm doing, if it's not working, take some time, think about it, problem solve because design really is problem solving. Uh, I'll come back to it and be able to execute. It's very rare that I get stuck now on uh, on a design or have to completely scrap one uh, mm-hmm. anymore, which is great. So yeah, so a lot of it, a lot of it is in my head, um, but it's important to have a, an exploratory conversation with the promoter if you don't know his fighters yet. Um, mm-hmm. Like right now, for example, with I of the Tiger, I know all the fighters personally. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, I know all their stories. I've watched all their fights, so I know what the theme and the story should be in my head and. Almost always, uh, Camille uh, from I the Tiger agrees. But if it was a new client, I would want to ask, you know, what kind of story do you want to tell? And that's really what it what it comes down to. People don't think that one visual can tell a story. People think only a video or a, a podcast mm. or a book mm-hmm. can tell a story. But one single visual can tell a story. That's a successful piece of art.
0: That's amazing. I, I was while you were discussing uh, talking about how how your process works. I was contemplating asking you. Uh, sharing your thoughts on the upcoming fight and what would you do for a poster? Do you think that sort of thing shouldn't be discussed at all because that's your sort of intellectual property and you don't want anyone no, to use that? No,
1: no. I mean, we could talk about it. I'd, I'd have to think. I'd have to think it through. But uh, let, let's try. Why not? I've never done that before.
0: Well, the fight that I was thinking about is the the third one between Triple G and Canelo. And as you know, there's a lot of drama around it. There's a lot of things are involved. And there's, there's a, lot, a lot of history over, like starting from all the way from 2014-15, I would say yeah. all these fights were marinating and discussed. And now with the third fight that is rumored, according to sources online, uh, including ESPN, that uh, the fight might happen on September 12th. And so I'm just wondering, like, what kind of um, emotions would you draw upon if you would make a poster for for that fight?
1: At this point, I think the most, um, uh, the, the, the angle, the, the lowest hanging fruit that you should be attaching yourself to is the bad blood between these guys at this point. And so I would definitely have that at the forefront of my uh, of my mind while thinking of how to do it. That doesn't mean that you have to do the classic face-to-face with the scowl necessarily, but mm-hmm. whether it's in the colors, um, going with an aggressive, powerful font, whatever it might be, I would definitely move away from the second poster. I was not a huge fan of it. I appreciated what they were trying to do with some of the colors, but uh, I would move away from just a standard two-guys punching each other type of thing. We all know that's what these guys do. So Mm -hmm. we don't need to tell that part of the story Mm -hmm. that they fought and that they will fight again. Let's go with uh, a a real storyline about revenge because to me now uh, Canelo this whole time over the last year or so has been trying to take food out of triple G's mouth in my opinion and triple G is jaded, you know much better than I do, but jaded about the fact that he got screwed in his mind twice Uh, so I think it has to be something around that. That's how, that's how I would approach that one.
0: Wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, And I agree with you. It's something like, I I think the, the dramatic aspect of it should really like be increased and, and it, and I feel like you can tell that you can tell that story just by designing the, the appropriate poster that can 100%. mirror that emotion.
1: But hundred percent, especially on Triple G's side, I feel like uh, you know you and I have talked about in the past. He's been uh, he was kind of the good guy, the good boy, the the friendly Kazakh, you know. Um, and lately, after getting more and more jaded with the boxing industry, as many or most fighters end up. I think that you have to show that sense of what he's feeling right now, that this sense that he needs retribution and uh, redemption. So yeah, totally. You, you could totally show that. And honestly, for a fight like this, there is no excuse to not have the best fight poster that's ever been done. Just like with any of the main uh, big multi-million dollar fights, there's no excuse for you not to have amazing creative for it. You have the budget. Trust me, the budget that they end up spending is 10 or 20 times more than what I would charge to do something like that. So they have the budget. There's no excuse. They could get the photos done. They could tell any story they want. And it just comes down to laziness as to why we see crap posters everywhere all the time. Not everywhere all the time. Some guys (laughs) do amazing jobs. Some guys, Top Rank does a great job. Uh, Matchroom Sports does a great job. That's mostly it.
0: Great, great. Well, I I still think that you're the best in the game. So uh, for me, there's no equals. Thanks, man.
1: I appreciate that. I try every day. Every single poster that I do, I try to, I I approach it with the thought that this has to be the best poster that I've ever done and the best poster that anybody's ever seen. It doesn't always happen that way, but that's how I approach it.
0: Awesome. Yeah. And uh, another thing that I wanted to talk to you about is that I did the thing that I did not know before is that you also do commentating for boxing. You're, you're yeah. sitting ringside and you do commentating. How yes. did that come about? And uh, tell me more about it.
1: Okay, so that one is uh, Camille Estefan from Eye of the Tiger has been huge uh, for my career in general. He's always and let me, let me just
0: me. preface that with yes. the, the, the fact that you also speak French.
1: Yes, that's right. So I come from Montreal. Um, I'm bilingual. Uh, French is my second language. English is is my first language, but I do speak French uh, well. So or well enough, anyways. So uh, what ended up happening was uh, I was doing posters for Camille for several years. Uh, at that point, we had a, uh, we have continue to have, but had a great relationship at that time. And uh, there was a big Lemieux fight happening at the Bell Center. And this was the week of the fight. This was uh, Tuesday, and the fight was on Saturday. Talking to Camille about a poster for the next event, and he says, "Hey, why don't you come and uh, do commentary with uh, Corey Erdman for this fight coming up um, on Saturday?" So I can't, I can't go. I mean, no, no, no. Book a flight. I'll pay for it. I'll get you out there and and just do it. So and was I'm that faced- before uh, the podcast started with. The oh yeah, man! Before okay. anything, so I had never at that point done any type of public speaking other than presentations uh, for work and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So I have no experience in broadcast whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But uh, Camille is good at seeing potential talent in people, uh, I suppose, and um, wanted to give me an opportunity. So the the I just my kind of thought and my mantra for the last few years because I feel like I've missed out on opportunities in my life on other things, is don't say no. Just say yes. Even if you're afraid, say yes. Obviously, within reason. I agree. Absolutely.
0: 100%.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I was terrified. But I know because I've done this for every job I've ever had, I always feel inadequate going in. If you put in the work, you can do it. And if you don't, you at least tried. So, uh, or if you don't succeed, I should say. So the minute that he said it and the minute that I, I called Elena and said, Hey, uh, Camille wants to fly me out. I'm, I'm going to say yes. Just say yes. hundred percent. You mean so, your wife? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, that, that night I started with that, It was actually a Wednesday. My flight was going to be Friday. Um, I started doing research on all the fighters. I watched hours and hours of tape. I had pages and pages of notes um, that I had prepared, I stayed up all night, you know, two nights in a row, which maybe wasn't the best idea when you have to speak publicly after. But I I just wanted to make sure that it came down to to the fact that I couldn't say, Hey, I didn't try. You know what I mean? Like at least I tried. If I failed, that means this wasn't for me. But I couldn't I, I wouldn't be able to say, Oh, I should have just done a bit more work. Oh, I should have done, you know, so mm-hmm. I was inspired by Al Bernstein, uh, one of the best commentators in the entire world uh, for boxing. We had flown him out to Toronto to do a fight, uh, to call a fight, a small fight, uh, years, years, and years before. And I saw him sitting there. This is one of the most high-profile boxing commentators in the sport, and he sat in the hotel in Mississauga interviewing Mexican undercard fighters that had one fight, and you know, or, or there were two and 10, two wins, 10 losses. And he sat there with every single one of them and let them tell their story so that he could tell it in the ring. And I thought, this guy could have just taken the check, come and talked whatever he wanted, and we would have been happy. But to see him put in that work, I was so inspired. So I tried to do the same. And uh, I could not have done it without uh, Corey being the, the, the main play-by-play guy. One of the best commentators him and al bernstein are my two favorites and uh so you know Corey walked me through it told me to relax told me to calm down and it was one of the best experiences of my life i had such a blast i had so much fun and i got so to- there was no
0: there was no stuttering that you did not all of a sudden forget forget how to speak i don't
1: think so uh, the second time the second time i, I flew out for uh, brandon cook against stephen butler and that one was going to be my first time on camera. So that last one was only our voices. And we were the English commentary. And then there was a French broadcast team that had the cameras pointed at them. But uh, the second time, uh, we were going to have a, a, an on-camera open. And uh, I thought I'd be okay. And then I hear the producer in my head, 30 seconds, and then 10 seconds. And then the camera guy goes like this. And Corey starts talking. I don't. It, everything went black. I have no idea what happened. I have no idea what I said, and I've never been able to go back and watch it, which I wish I could. I I know I said something, no idea what I said, no idea if it went well. It was (laughs) absolute terror, uh, completely just blanked me out. That's never happened to me. (laughs) So yeah.
0: That's amazing. That's a great story. So you're still doing this because I see you're doing work for uh, Tyler Buxton as well here at Brampton for for his show. Yeah, yeah. And this is how we met for the first time. You like, you went out and came out in this like, like, it was like a fiction scene. You, you had the smoking on. You're like, okay, Samir, nice to meet you. Let's go. <laughs> you're like, like the, the fixture. You had the, the suit on and everything. Yeah. I was like, whoa, whoa, this guy is, this guy is serious. Like, okay. That's hilarious. Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally, man. Hey, I take the gig seriously. I like to dress nicely when I can. So, uh,
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it helps, by the way, that my last full-time job when I was living in Edmonton was marketing manager for a super high-end menswear. Store. Yeah, so I yeah, have a I saw that. Pretty yeah. sweet closet over there of uh, disc I, you know, I got my employee discounts. So awesome. thank you to Henry Singer.
0: Yeah, this is great. And then let's talk about the Great Fight North podcast. Really, yeah. I think this for Canada, this is a signature podcast right now. And I don't feel there's, I don't think there's anything more high profile than this podcast for the Canadian boxing. I correct me if I'm yeah. wrong, but that's my opinion.
1: No, there, there, uh, I think for what we do. And the style that we do it in you're definitely right. There is another Canadian boxing podcast uh, that's a, a different flavor, different kind of angle. They're located out in uh, Saskatchewan um, and that's uh, final shot podcast uh, good guys but it's not the um, uh, it, it's more uh, interview long format interviews uh, with uh, with fighters generally more local fighters. Uh, to the western, to, to Western Canada, it's a lot of fun. Different style altogether. A lot more humor. A lot more kind of um, uh, joking and personal kind of stuff, which is fun. And so it's a different angle. But yes, uh, for what so we how do, that,
0: that, how yeah. did that come about? How did you guys decide to start a podcast? You're doing it with Ryan Scalia.
1: Yeah, that's right. So for for people that don't know Ryan, first off, he's uh, one of the sharpest boxing minds in in the world. It's uh, it's unbelievable. This guy knows every fighter that is currently active in the amateurs or the pros and you could ask him uh what is so and so what's his style that he fought in the amateurs and he'll be a, like a guy from kazakhstan or uzbekistan or america or canada and he knows exactly he has his. that
0: reputation and he has been a guest in my podcast as well so for anyone who's yes. watching or listening uh go back and look for uh, my podcast with ryan
1: Yeah. So I had wanted to start a Canadian boxing podcast uh, for a while, actually just a a general interest boxing podcast um, for for quite some time. And you know how projects go. I'm sure you were the same way. You have the idea, but you don't necessarily execute. You wait for the right time or, you know, I, after this project, you know, so I knew in terms of boxing knowledge, I don't pretend to be a boxing historian whatsoever. Um, Yes. I have insider industry experience, which helps. I have a lot of great contacts. Um, I have a good reputation still with everybody that I've ever worked with. So I knew I'd be able to get fighters and I knew I'd be able to, uh, since I did the the broadcasting uh, for the commentating, I knew I'd be able to talk and host something, uh, I assumed anyways. But I really wanted to find a partner that um, was a legit boxing mind, that uh, you know I could lean on for- Give you that street cred. Exactly. And Ryan has that in in spades, you know, boxing writers in the US, uh, Steve Kim from ESPN does research through Ryan for some of his articles, you know. So uh, anyways, we met up uh, at the Canadian Nationals, which are being held in Edmonton. Ryan lives in Calgary. It's about a three hour drive. He came up, we met up, we had a lot of fun. We started talking about this idea and uh, it kind of you know, slowed down, didn't happen, and then it was coming towards the end of the year in uh, 2018, and we said, I said, you know what, man? Let's do it starting January. Let's just let's just try, and the only thing I ask is that we do 26 straight episodes, no matter what, even if we have zero. Why listeners. 26? I wanted to do six months. I I, I didn't believe. Okay, in... so one a week. Yeah, one a week. One a week consistently, no matter what. And I really did not want to, um, allow ourselves to be disappointed by the results and then give up before letting this whole process, you know, find its path and finding the comfort zone and how it works. And I felt like six months was a good amount of time. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we started, we started, uh, in, in January, 2019 and the types of guests that we were able to get early from the fact that you know, both Ryan and I have a a solid reputation and contact list were fantastic. So I think it it kind of blew up in a sense right off the bat. We, I think our third episode, we had Steve Kim from ESPN as a guest on like a little local Canadian boxing podcast talking about Canadian fighters. And, uh, there, you know, we were about to, it was about to be Eliator Alvarez against Sergey Kovalev Mm -hmm. and he gave us a ton of great insight on that. We've, and from there, I mean, we've had basically everybody that I've wanted to uh, the only person when, that I when did I, you
0: when did you start uh, the podcast when was yeah, that
1: January 2019 so it's been a year almost a year and a half a year and a, qu- and, oh, and a quarter oh wow
0: listen this is amazing I did not know that I thought it's been long, around for a while considering the the profile that you guys acclaimed uh, right now wow yeah
1: thanks man and again that's, that all comes down to because uh, you
0: mentioned the Alvarez call I'm like that was just recently the first yeah time. <laughs> yeah totally yeah we started January I think it was
1: January 14th uh, or January 12th wow amazing okay yeah yeah and so the ability to reach to Reach out to people and know and trainers still. And, you know, I, I stepped away from boxing for a number of years. I stepped away mm-hmm. from boxing for three years completely, where I wasn't even doing posters. I was just jaded by it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was worried that trying to get back into that world, that maybe people wouldn't remember me or wouldn't want to talk or whatever. But that wasn't mm-hmm. the case. And I've since rekindled some great friendships. So it's been amazing.
0: You know, they, they, and this is a great story and I'm actually very impressed right now. that It's been around for a little bit more than a year, but it seems like it's been around for a while considering like the profile it is, which brings me to, um, to this point where. And I think Tyler was talking about this and Stevie Bailey as well. There's not a lot of media covering sports in Canada. Yeah. And which is kind of a good thing for, 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 for guys like you and, and Ryan yeah. who does the podcast, but it also kind of a bad thing because it doesn't give uh, as, as much ex- exposure as, you yeah. know, as the supply uh, provides. So um, what do you think about that? Like, how can we change that and what's happening? Is there a potential for interest to increase?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a really interesting to look at uh, Canada across the whole country and how it works in terms of uh, boxing support from the media. And, you know, you look at where boxing has found the most success traditionally in Canada since the beginning has been Montreal. Um, I mean, we've had super high profile fights, Sugar Ray Leonard fighting there, um, you know, all the way down through a glory age in the kind of late 90s, early 2000s with uh, Boutte and Pascal and sold out Bell Centers. And you want, you, the, the media has always been supporting boxing in Quebec from the get go. And you see, you know, you could say, is it a chicken and the egg kind of thing? Like, well, it's because there were the big fights there early that the media got behind it. I, I don't really know if that rings so true, to be honest. I think that uh, the media support, the Quebec culture um, really uh, kind of uh, took, took boxing under its wing right away. It took an interest in boxing from the beginning and continued. It never stopped. There was always a print, print coverage in newspapers about boxing in Quebec. And the rest of the, the rest I do see, the country, yes,
0: I do see some publications in French and they actually like yes. talk seriously about boxing there. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. wow, okay. So yeah. there's some, not And in I English mean, you though. look
1: at it even now, uh, obviously it blew up in the late nineties. Uh, mm. and then you'd have huge media coverage all the time and they had all the pro- high profile fights and it, it kind of becomes this cycle where if you have the media coverage there, the big mm. fights will come. And it's, if you don't, then you get smaller fights and the media is not as interested. So you got mm-hmm. to start somewhere. you got to start telling the stories of boxers. And unfortunately, for whatever reason, Ontario has never really been all that excited about the sport of boxing from a media perspective. Now, they also have huge market teams like the Toronto Raptors, um, you know, and of course, the, the Maple Leafs. So they have ma- some of the major sports that's kind of Holding boxing back, but I think a lot of it comes mm-hmm. down to the editors in the sports departments just not liking boxing, straight mm-hmm. up. And I mean, we've mm-hmm. seen that many times. So, yeah, it, I, there's a there's a huge market for boxing, clearly worldwide. There's Sports Network, uh, Sportsnet rather, mm-hmm. um, and uh, which is owned by Rogers. So mm-hmm. those are the main ones uh, in Canada, and TSN is the. ESPN affiliate for Canada, so uh, mm-hmm. same kind of branding, um, same kind of product.
0: Okay, so then and, we can see we can see then then if, if uh, TSN is affiliate for ESPN, there is a possibility that they can sort of influence from the headquarters uh, in uh, in the United States to do some boxing coverage.
1: That's what ended up happening. Um, myself and several other people on Twitter were very vocal about TSN. I had. I had uh, insider knowledge about what TSN was doing with the rights to boxing because their parent company, Bell Media, owned the rights to all Showtime boxing and all ESPN boxing. Mm -hmm. And they blocked those rights from going to a smaller broadcaster that was wanting to put boxing on as a huge focus. Mm -hmm. And I was working with that broadcaster. It was a premium channel, and what they ended up doing is telling uh, Showtime's execs at CBS not to allow this to happen. Yet they weren't showing the content either, so they were more interested in burying the content to not have a competitor than they were in letting fans see boxing. Mm -hmm. So I wanted I wanted boxing fans in Canada to know that and to understand why aren't we getting? Why can't we watch Showtime fights? Why can't that broadcaster that I was working with, how come they can't do Showtime fights anymore? Well, there's a reason. It's not about the fact that they didn't want to. It's that they're being blocked at a very high level from doing it. So I was very vocal about it. I approached um, a writer from the Toronto Star who did a story about it, Morgan Campbell. Um, he Bell didn't comment, but he did a story in the newspaper about it, which I think went a long way for us in changing the mind of TSN, every time every time there was a fight that wasn't on TSN, I would tweet out to ESPN saying, "Hey, how come your affiliate in Canada hates boxing? How come they don't like to support it?" You know, every single time. I'm not trying to take credit for this. It was a, uh, I don't know if it was a shift up high, but all I know is that myself and others at that time hammered TSN every single time until they started to listen or until ESPN put the pressure on them or until they realized the error of their ways and the fact that they could be getting a lot more content instead of having curling on TSN 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. You could do curling on four of those channels, the same curling, by the way, and maybe throw uh, on TSN 4, let us have a fight. You already own the rights. Let us have the fight. So mm-hmm. they did, and credit to TSN, they've been much better at showing boxing. And that's what you need to be able to grow the sport to casual fans across the country who will then demand that the media covers
0: the sport. Mm-hmm.
1: So it's, it, we need content.
0: And, and it goes both ways, right? If, if the interest increases because of the supply of the content increases, then the advertising increases as well, and, exactly. you know, and so on and so forth. So Exactly. Um, so it's a mutual benefit. Wow, yeah. that's, a, that's a great story. I'll uh yeah. I'll cut that I'll cut that one separately and I'll put that on my promotion sure. <laughs> promotion <Yeah>. list. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Yeah. That's awesome. So uh what are you up to right now uh, besides besides what we just discussed is there's um, other projects that you're working on and uh where do you see your career going or where do you mm. hope you know to to end up in uh, in the closest time in the very, you know, near time? Granted that we will be able to get outside. Yeah, yeah.
1: let's assume that that things uh, pick up and uh, yeah, let us leave the uncertainty of the the concept that we don't know when boxing's coming back and when we can have big crowds. Let's pretend that this thing didn't happen. So where do I see you know the next couple of years and what am I working on? Um, over the last few years, I've been niching, and sh- that's where I talked about strategy, strategically choosing projects that are going to get me closer to my goal, which is to only be working in boxing, which is what I'm currently doing, which is great. Um, so over that time, over the years, I've done graphic design for all sorts of things, for clothing, for uh, back kids' backpacks. Over the last two years specifically, I gave those away to other designers I turned down jobs and only focused on boxing and boxing design. And that's, that's kind of where I want to take this further. So, um, get my name's getting known a little bit more. My work's getting known a little bit more, which is Mm -hmm. great. I'm getting people approaching me now asking for posters instead of in the past, having to ask them. So really what I would love is to do exactly what I'm doing right now, but at the highest elite level of the sport. And it's not anything um, negative on Eye of the Tiger, who have given me the creative freedom to produce my best work that I ever have. So huge thanks. And I would never leave doing work for Eye of the Tiger. But what I feel is, instead of taking jobs from smaller promoters that could go to uh, newer designers that need experience, just like when you get a guy like Triple G and Canelo, they're at the elite level of the sport, they're fighting at the elite level. They're getting paid at the elite level, and they're producing at the elite level. I know I can do that. I I have 100 percent confidence that I can produce uh, the best creative out there. So now it's just a matter of getting recognition from one of the big the big guys in the industry who want to work with me. And uh, and and you know that's my dream. My dream is 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 to be able to produce creative, uh, visual creative for. The most high profile fights that that happen historic fights so that that 's where I want to go, and that 's the path that i 've been going on. all the other stuff i 'd love to continue doing broadcast commentary, you know I, all of this was a part of kind of creating a personal brand in boxing, Canadian boxing, as when you think of me, you think of boxing in Canada, and so that was strategic over the last few years,
0: and I think that and, was accomplished successfully.
1: Thank you, man. I really appreciate that and um, I like it, you know, I, 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 love it. And it's, it's made a lot of great friends, friends like you, uh, a, a, number of really good friends, great contacts, great networking, and, uh, it's my passion. So that's what I want to be doing.
0: Awesome, man. I'm, yeah, this is very exciting and I, I wish you all the best and uh, good luck with, uh, with all of your beginnings and your career future. And Thanks, I'm man. very confident that you will accomplish all of your goals. How can Thank people you find you, your social media and, uh, you know, where can they see your portfolio?
1: Yeah. So uh, the comp- my, my company is called Undisputed Design. So undisputeddesign.com. Go on the, the website. You can see a selection of my favorite posters that I've done. I've done now, I haven't counted, but I've done, I'd say either close to or over 200 posters in the last 10 years uh, when you include all the undercard designs and all the other stuff. So uh, there's about probably 30 of them up there. Uh, you know, I, some of the stuff from the past, I'm not showing anybody. Some of it was terrible. That's something also that I'd like to say. Sorry, before we get into that, uh, for aspiring designers out there who see some of the work by some of the top designers in sports design, I see work that I'm every single day. I follow a ton of sports designers on social media, and I see their stuff, and my jaw drops, thinking, "How did they do that?" Still, myself, and I've been a professional uh, designer now for 20
0: years, so. Um, Well, that's good. You're you're keeping tabs on everyone. Oh, 100%.
1: You have to. And Samir, you see it, what what you just mentioned earlier about the formulaic posters and these things that look like they're still from 2002 that guys are doing. That's because they're not out there looking at trends constantly. And that's what I spend my entire day doing is I'm completely inside the world of design, sports design, boxing. And if you're not upping your own skills and following trends and trying to even create some trends to me, there's no point, you know, like you're going to be stuck and we see it every single day. When posters come out, you see a poster, you're like, is this from 2020 or 2008? And it, right. you literally have no idea. So, uh, yeah. So anyways, it, it, it's really important to not to think that oh man, how am I ever going to get to a certain level as a designer? It comes with practice and it comes with time. Just like a fighter, no fighter is going to enter the ring for their first fight for a world title. I mean, unless, you know, very, 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 very rare circumstances, but you need to put in that work. So start designing and uh, you'll see how quickly this kind of stuff can come to you if you got a good eye for it. But anyways, you can follow me on my work on undisputeddesign.com. Uh, you can also find me, Jason to fexis on Twitter, Facebook, Uh, Instagram where I'm not nearly active enough, especially. Which I'm surprised by the way. I I know it's a visual, it's a, it it should be the one that I'm the most. And I don't know why I just, I need, that's, that's. Gotta
0: do it, man. Gotta do it.
1: No, I know. So uh, J-A-S-O-N-T-O-U-F-E-X-I-S. That's uh, that's the best way to find me on all the different social platforms. Perfect. And, and, I, and I'll I, try
0: to put in uh, put in some uh, tags under your uh, visual so that we can constantly see. Yep. Uh,
1: I'm always open to talking with anybody, whether you're a designer, a
0: boxing fan,
1: whatever. Um, you know, I, My DMs are always open uh, and uh, I love to hear from people. So if anybody has any questions about anything, anytime, or just wants to chat, hit me up.
0: And how can your listeners fight, uh, find the Great Fight North podcast? Yes. So
1: great. GR8. That's the key. It's not great. The word It's GR8 Fight North. You could listen to us on any podcast platform, um, Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, you name it. Uh, and you can find us on Twitter at Great Fight North, Facebook at Great Fight North and Instagram at Great Fight North. So we'd love, please listen, share, throw us a rating, man. And as you know, it makes a huge difference.
0: Awesome. I agree completely. Well, this was great. Jason's uh, very inspiring. I feel like a lot of people will listen to it and, and sort of get inspired to do the same. I know that there's a lot of aspiring designers and, and just people who want, who would like to be in the sport of boxing, to be a part of the team and to hear how you were grinding grinding, and especially hearing about your failures. I, I, I'm a huge proponent of that. When people, especially the successful people who talk about their lives and and they discussed that hey, it was always it wasn't always this great, you know, I failed in yeah. this and that. And yeah. and to see how you, you know, how you said you lost thirty thousand dollars, but then you sort of got back up and, you know, started involved yourself even more and eventually got successful, I feel like it's important for people to know that. And and I really appreciate that you are that you don't mind talking about it because yeah, for yoga, sure, man. yeah it takes a lot to. of guts.
1: Without without that, without those those failures and those losses, you you can't appreciate when things are good in my opinion anyway. So
0: Absolutely. All right, Jason, I would shake your hand if we were not on quarantine. (laughs) So I'll salute you.
1: (laughs) Salute, my friend. Thank you. Stay healthy. Stay safe.
0: Thanks. I'll try to make sure that this podcast will be saved on my computer because I don't know. This is my first time. I hope I'm not going to screw this up. Fingers crossed, buddy. (laughs) Fingers crossed. All right, Azizi podcast, everyone. Jason Tufexis was my guest. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram as well. I'm going to put my information below. And don't forget to subscribe on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher and all the podcast platforms. Thank you so much, everyone. Goodbye.